eyes above, so below. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernard Beitman, MD. I'm a psychiatrist. I study meaningful coincidences, uh, and I've put a lot of what I've put together about them in this book, Meaningful Coincidences, uh, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. And people are recognizing it as a, a scientific approach, which it is because I've tried to categorize uh, aspects of coincidences. People have talked about synchronicity and serendipity for years, but we have if we're, if we're going to study them in any kind of scientific way, we have to describe what we want to study and description is the first step a good description is the first step in creating a new science and with that comes categories and categories is what my book has a lot of well you can order it anywhere you get books uh and i hope you do but Go for your local book bookstore, the bricks and mortar places to keep them alive, doing what we're doing here, selling books. And my story for today is about a dog. About a dog. A few weeks ago, I was walking around my neighborhood, minding my own business, when I heard a dog barking. And he looked like he was barking at me. So I kind of thought, hey, you barking at me? But I didn't say that. I stood there looking at him and not wanting to take any more abuse, I started barking back at him. The look on his face was so funny. He That look was like his saying like any other person. He'd say, say what? Say what? I mean, what was that? His face went up one direction. He had, what is that? So he started barking back at me but in a different way he barked once i barked once i barked he barked twice he paused i barked twice he barked three times paused i barked three times and he then mixed up the rhythms uh and i tried to keep up with him and then he threw me off when he started throwing in some growls with the barks well Around that time, his uh, his owner mother came out of the house and told him to shut up, and I walked off. The dog and I were having a bark fest. And the reason it's a coincidence is because we don't think of a dog and a human being having uh, a bark fest like that. So the question becomes is how, do, how does that happen? Because coincidences often leave us with uh, the desire for explanations. Well, we'll go on to some more stories with our guest today, uh, Dr. Daniel Ingram, uh, MD, MSPH. Uh, don't let the fact that he's a retired uh, ER physician fool you. He retired in his early 50s because he had other things to do. Uh, he's got training in epidemiology, electrical engineering, English literature, meditation, and is an author, CEO, and board chair, and co-founder of what we'll talk about today in part, the Emergent Phenomenology Research Consortium. Daniel is a high-energy guy running around um, 
collecting ideas and people to try to do something to study what you might call spiritual phenomenon, but he's they're calling it emergent phenomena because the term spiritual has so many different meanings these days. So Daniel, Daniel, we spoke for six hours at my house and it was a lot of fun and it's great to see you again. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here, uh, to be here chatting about these fascinating topics. So thank you for bringing them forward into the world in this uh, sort of way. You're welcome. And I'm glad that it's so much a part of what you're doing. Uh, it's like, and hopefully more and more, because anytime you're doing anything or you're trying to do something uh, and it works, there's going to be meaningful coincidences helping you along. It's almost like one of those kind of laws that I'm beginning to see, at least an approximate one. So I can bring anybody on this show almost who's accomplishing things and some who aren't, but that, and get them to talk about how coincidences have helped them make stuff happen. But you've got a couple of stories, Daniel. Tell us the first story, please. All right. So the first story is actually how I met you. So I went to a UAP conference. Where UAP? Uh, UFO, for those who don't know the lingo. And this is in New York. And uh, one of the many reasons to go there was to meet Sharon Rollette, who studies coincidences, but also talks about interesting things related to the nature of consciousness and experience, and is also an ethicist. And the project I work on is highly grounded in ethics. And so this was a, a good person to meet. And two days after meeting her there, who studies coincidences, my friend Anna said, hey, you should meet my um, Bernie. And Bernie is a guy who also studies coincidences. And I says, well, that's interesting. It's the first coincidence. It's just, I'd never met anybody who studied coincidences in just four days, sorry, two days ago, I just met somebody who studies coincidences. So that was the first coincidence. Second coincidence is I said, well, where's Bernie? And she said, well, he's in Charlottesville, um, you know, and has had some connection to UVA and DOPS. And I was like, well, it's funny you mentioned that. My next place I go in two days is Charlottesville, where I'm visiting um, UVA and DOPS um, and some people from DOPS. And so that was the second coincidence. And then the third coincidence is that as I was driving down to meet you, I was listening to your book, which was talking about all the types of coincidences. And you were saying that um, uh, uh, there's a there's a person, a type of coincidence, you know, experiencer or coincider, as you call them, who their coincidences often have to do with somehow connecting people. And so it, and I had just met Sharon, whose coincidence type is connecting people related to her story. And so it was so I was listening to you talk about connectors when I had just met a connector type who actually was the inspiration when I thought, oh, I should really meet this person because I was inspired by her talk on coincidences to meet another person who I was like, well, this is getting me more and more interested in the topic. So there it was also so that's yet another coincidence. And so then um, meeting you then really is sort of like you also talk about meta coincidences, right, which are coincidences about coincidences 
coincidences. But this really, because you both study coincidences, so you two are already kind of both meta-to-coincidences, are really meta-meta-coincidences. So I'm really talking about the rare, rare category of coincidences about coincidences that are actually about coincidences. So this is, this is I think, is a pretty unusual coincidence story. That's my first coincidence story. And this well, is really working out well for me. And then both of you joined the EPRC, which was also super cool. So like, that's all working out well as well. Um, and very glad to have you both as, as part of the, the effort and team. And glad to be part of it. The 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 meta ness is the meta meta ness is in you. You are the metaphor of this thing, where you were you're like above the two others, because it happened in your mind to be able to put the two the two other the meta and the actual Sharon and me studying the stuff together, and that. I'd like to suggest to our audience, uh, says something about the way your mind works, that you are um, a meta, meta kind of guy, that you like to be, see something, see what's going on around it and how that relates to it, and then watch what else is going on that affects what's going on down there. That's also true. Yeah. And that helps me with modeling and mapping and building big organizations or helping to build them. Um, with a big and team. I, I have I have an idea why, and my idea why it helps you is because here's the regular reality patterns, and then you get meta to them, so you can extract the um, patterns of the lower patterns. You get it's like taking um, derivatives in uh, calculus. You find a you find the the formula that of the equation that that creates the the the, the more complicated uh, x squared equation. So you get the uh, x cubed. So you get the x squared, and then you get the this a straight line, which is kind of a straight an easier way to understand the phenomenon. And that's where I think your thinking begins to uh, be reflected in your being able to see the meta 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 ness of this coincidence series. Nice. Yeah, it's a projective test. <laughs> or it's not more of a it's not a projective test. It's just seeing how you think. And I appreciate that because I don't get to talk to people who can think about what they're thinking about what they're thinking about, observe themselves, observing themselves, observing themselves. And that's where I would like to help people increase their ability to do, because you can extract patterns uh, that are more fundamental and are uh, predict the, the what we might call the lower patterns, just as you might in calculus see the early equation being the fundamental of the of the later ones. Well, it's actually one of the, the EPRC, as we mentioned, the Emergent Phenomenology Research Consortium, one of its core assumptions is that if you want to study things like consciousness or deeper layers of reality, then having people who are good at that and or trained in that and supported in that training and in the kind of techniques and trainings and mind modifications that you can do um, are likely to facilitate those kinds of insights. So it's often been noted that a number of great people in, in history who were able to do great breakthroughs also had various mystical, spiritual, et cetera, experiences in art, literature, mathematics, physics, logic, um, religion. philosophy, religion, obviously, et cetera. 
And so having a world which better supports people who are on that journey and all the strange and unusual and interesting things that can happen is more likely to lead to innovation and this kind of connection. And so the, and the, one of the points of the EPRC is to make sure that such people on the journey are better supported with better frameworks and science and less stigmatization and less pathologizing and less this is crazy needs meds and less of all of those sorts of things. And so, uh, yeah, so it's also interesting that as we both, uh, yet another coincidence that we both have that same set of kind of vision um, for what we think is valuable and that we need to bring better science to this. You also mentioned a phenomenological approach. So the other interesting coincidence here is that you mentioned the first thing you do is good description and good storytelling, and then you can see patterns in those descriptions. And that sort of naturalistic approach and phenomenal, phenomenological phenomenological approach to coincidences is the same one we take with the broader broader category of spiritual, mystical, magical, psychedelic, um, psi, uh, et cetera, energetic phenomena in the EPRC. And so it's also um, really auspicious uh, that you and I got connected because the, the, small, the smaller part of it that you're working on uses essentially the same fundamental approach uh, as the bigger part of the EPRC. So that's also really nice. It is very nice. It is very nice. And I'm, I don't usually lead off the, the podcast with that. Um, so I, I'm glad that we're, that's a little bit of a coincidence to be able to describe that way of thinking of starting with good description, getting to getting to categories and that's good science. And I'm glad you say it, what I'm doing is a little part of it because uh, it's it's a little part of it. It's a little part of it that has a lot to do with all of it uh, because coincidences are part of the whole discovery process that everybody else is doing. And the mindset that you said so quickly, I want to be a little slower about this ability to observe your mind, observing your mind, observing your mind, uh, the first observer, second observer, third observer, which implies a fourth observer. If you, if you can observe the third one, you've got a fourth one, which is harder for me to get to. But now by talking with you, um, and I don't find too many people who can easily do this, the fourth observer becomes a little bit more apparent to me. I can almost feel it as we talk about it. And it's in it's in those higher realms of observing that we can get a clearer view of what the phenomenon we're studying are is phenomenology is description but then we have to extract patterns from them patterns of patterns of patterns and then bring the simplified patterns that we come up with and apply them in the confusion uh, and all the storm and drawing of what this reality is and say no this is this is the simpler version of what's going on. We can see through all the noise and come to the patterns that we want to be able to operate on on this three-dimensional earth. Yeah, nice. And and then even in some ways, the directness that goes beyond observers. So there's also a way to um, experience this in which everything is just clear where it is. And so those kinds of, of insights and capacities are the th sort of thing we want to support the journey um, related to, uh, so in the EPRC um, and with the work that we're doing. Nice. So anyway, that's the first story. I don't know if you want to hear the second story. Should, should I give yeah, the second I, story? Yeah, I want to hear the second story. They want to hear about maps. Nice. Um, cool. 
So the second story is not quite as super meta, like layered intricate, but it's, it's kind of fun. That same trip when I was up in New York um, doing some advancement fundraising and networking for the EPRC, I met with someone who was interested in, in helping the project. I might be able to bring some real resources uh, uh, that we could use to the project and is also a practitioner and person on, on the path. And uh, they just happened to, uh, uh, you know, I said, well, you know, if, if we wanted to meet sometime again, you know, where are you going to be? And they're going to be like, well, I'm, I'm going to be in this Latin American country in this little town in Central America. And I said, well, that's really interesting. Cool. Is that, you know, sounds like fun. So uh, um, the same day I get introduced to you, uh, which would have been the next day, I believe. Um, uh, the same friend says, hey, I've got a, so I guess there are more coincidences in this. I've got another friend you should meet who also is a person on the path who might be interested in helping to bring some resources to your project. And I said, great, well, connect me with them. So I meet them and they also say, oh, by the way, I'm building a retreat center in the same town of the person you just met who also already has a retreat center in a small uh, town in a country in Central America. I'm trying not to, to disclose too many people. I don't know if they want to be mentioned in this. But um, so I was like, in that same town, they're like, yeah. Do you, um, and so I was like, well, great. That's maybe a place we could meet. So cool. So maybe like second person in, in just a few days, maybe mate in the same town. And then just yesterday, not just less than a month later, I'm like, well, should I go down there? Maybe, you know, it's kind of a long way and I'm not into coronavirus and all that. A third friend who's also um, a philanthropist and walker on the path, I said, you know, what's your life coming up? And he said, oh, well, I'm going to be in the same small town in the Central American country in Costa Rica right when you're available and might be able to be there and come down. Yeah, it'd be great to see you. So now I have remarkably the last three major um, potential um, supporters of the project that I've met all are going to be in the same small town in a Central American country at approximately the same time, I think, or at least two, if not three of them, almost certainly will uh, will be there. And so that's just like, wait a second, and this is a town I'd never heard of. So like, and it's, that's just that's a lot of coincidences um, in one little place. And they all actually are people who I think would really like meeting each other. So that's another one of these nice social connecting coincidences. Um, yeah, and also might be very helpful for the project. And I also felt it was kind of auspicious, right? So we're getting into this sort of psychological thing. It's like, okay, now I have three reasons to get on a plane and and risk uh, a little bit of COVID. I will defend myself uh, with ex exquisite masks, but still, um, yeah, that's a, and I sort of, it's hard not to take that as some sort of a sign that that's where I'm supposed to go, which is now getting into the maps and models and things related to coincidences, right? the psychological implications and the possible benefits and challenges of coincidences. But the the interesting thing about that is like, okay, now I have three reasons. I'm almost certainly going to be jumping on, hopping on a plane and going down to, to visit. And so, yeah. Being as uh, anybody knows who knows you and is listening to you knows you talk fast. That's true. Because uh, you got a lot of ideas in there. And I think this is really a remarkable one that's worth paying attention to. So I want to slow down what hap what what you just described. It's very it's pretty evident, but I wanted to slow it down and have us mull it over a little bit because it's a it's a very it, it's a compelling compelling to a guy who doesn't particularly want to go traveling around for because of the virus, right? Uh, but he, here 
through a variety of uh, communications, you found out that three potential donors who are interested in what EPRC is doing are showing up at the same place at around the same time in an unnamed Costa Rican town that is is going that is making it look like um, uh, Dr. Ingram, um, the ER is calling. Uh, right. It, that's what yeah. this is like. Yeah, it very much feels like it, it's hard. It's hard <laughs> at that point not to feel some kind of message from the universe, right? Which is where we get into psychological relationships to coincidences and how if you once you've seen those patterns, they can seem to add layers of meaning or direction or um, the, the curiousness of these, these sort of, you know, that's a triple convergence. If it was just two, that's interesting, right? But three, it's like, really? You know, that that's but kind three, of Even two is and good, so, but yeah. But even three. But three, it's but, suddenly uh, like, well, what, what are the chances, right? This is the place I've never heard of. And, and it's just like, huh, okay. It's a low probability event. It's surprising. Right. Uh, it's uh, which are two characteristics of the uh, good coincidences: low probability and surprising go together, and appears to have meaning for you. That's a basic coincidence idea, uh, and the meaning is, "Hey, Daniel, get down to this town and blah blah blah." That's what it's saying. Now, that's that we can get complicated, and we will about uh, all of the layers in this, but it's a pretty direct uh, suggestion. <laughs> the coincidences are not commands their suggestions but it's a pretty like hey daniel maybe you ought to go down to this mm -hmm. place despite all of the problems and, right. and how let's talk for a minute about why that happened and one of the reasons it happens is because you are a peripatetic kind of guy meaning you like adventure you like getting in your car and driving from alabama all over the country uh which is how you got to me you like connecting people. You like being out there and seeing what happens. You're an adventurer uh, in life and you're an interpersonal adventurer. You like places too, but you, you really like people and you want to see what they come up with and you like people in places. And that's a lot of fun. So new place, interesting person. Hey, let's spend six hours together and see what happens while we're, we're eating some vegetarian duck thing uh, from uh, from Bangkok. I mean, I mean, it's like that's fun. I mean, that that's it's 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 like a roller coaster thing. To me, this is a fun house that I'm in, or or a forest that's like all kinds of little birds and funny things happen, and it's exploratory. So you, but you do it by moving, and it's so important for our audience to know that the more you move around, the more intersections with reality you get, and intersections with reality are the fun fundamental parts of coincidences. So you move around, you go to a conference in New York, and you you have to do something called talking. You have to talk to people. How many times have people missed something because they didn't talk to the person sitting next to them? You don't know that. But you're a, you're a talker. <laughs> you'll say things to people, and you'll find out stuff. So moving around, reducing the intensity of structure, and being willing to communicate are two fundal, fundamental ways that coincidences take place, and you are doing them. So that's a basic underlying thing I want to uh, would let just want our audience to know that you represent. 
But now let's get to models and maps because uh, I want us to be able to see what you mean by those in regard to maybe this story and others. Sure. So the first thing I should say is I am very influenced by certain traditions that advocate this curious balance of first ontological agnosticism with an empirical, empirical pragmatism. Ontological agnosticism with an empirical, empirical pragmatism. So that means breaking it down. Ontologies are statement of what is, what is true, and often about the underlying nature of reality. You know, um, two, um, agnosticism, meaning I don't know which of these statements is necessarily true, and I don't actually know how to prove or definitively that any of them are true. Three, empirical in the sense of, in my own experience, and empirical in the sense of scientific replication, I, I can pragmatically show in my own experience through replication that certain maps and models in certain situations seem to be useful or not useful, right? And so I have this, uh, a pretty high degree of comfort, you know, taking on, uh, no, sorry, putting on and taking off models like one would clothing, like one puts on a bathing suit and then one puts on a tuxedo and those have very different sort of effects and modes. And yet, you know, it's not like once you've put on a tuxedo, you can't take it off or a bathing suit, it's the same kind of thing, right? And so in that same kind of way um, uh, that I, I take, I, I like to take on, um, sorry, put on and take off maps and models. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when adopting a model, there's something way more fun about really kind of being able to believe it as long as you don't get stuck in it. So that's the other interesting thing. Once you put on a model, even if you're holding this general thing, oh, I could you know, put on this piece of clothing or this piece of clothing, once you put it on to kind of be what that is. So if you put on the bathing suit and you go swimming or you put on the tuxedo and you go to the thing, you know, or whatever, and, and to, to kind of really be able to be that and embody it is something of an interesting skill while holding the sense that maybe none of the models are true, but only, only maybe some are useful. But when in the model to then go, wow, that allows you to derive, I think, more richness and kind of utility and benefit from the model you've put on. So that's the first kind of meta thing I wanted to do about this. Right. So before I go talking about any models, just recognize that's the underlying kind of platform I'm coming from of my relationship to maps and, and models. And, so and let's we'll stop and, there. And, and I, I, I'm putting on a model right now, a model of of how to explain telepathy. Uh, and it, it just requires two basic assumptions of the psychosphere and of a, of a higher self. And if you can, if you think we got a high, higher self, or you think there's our mental, mental, mental atmosphere, then you're going to be able to have a model that's just a, a rectangle uh, uh, that has has points of uh, focus on each of the corners. And I've been just like mm -hmm. running that one around and trying it out on people. And, oh, that sounds like it's possible, but it, it's and it's also researchable. Uh, which is what we want to be able to have things do. And so do you. You want to be able to have a model that can come down and, and at least in some way be scrutinized. So I'm I'm right with you. I'm walking around with a model of telepathy, which uh, is kind of a new thing because we... Does telepathy, does telepathy exist? No, it doesn't because we don't know how it works. I mean, that's the way it goes. Now models are ways 
of explaining things. Sure. And in terms of, I don't know if you, do you want to talk about telepathy? That's kind of a fun one, actually. I've had a, a few experiences that seem to, to relate to telepathy. Um, well, well, I, I, maybe we can do that another time because, because okay. I like. think I want to keep going with what you're thinking about because uh, we we can talk about that again. I'll talk about it with other people on on these podcasts. Uh, I want to hear how. I just trying to say I am trying on a model which I am at the same time also skeptical about, which is what you're being able to say. Oh, look, I'm trying this on. But I look in the mirror, really? Okay, but okay, I listen to other people. Do they like the way this looks? You know, that kind of stuff. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And and so that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is that psychologically, I very often found coincidences to be very um, inspiring, revelatory. They they they. I have more curiosity. There's more of a sense of life being a little more enchanted in a good way. Um, that sense of re-enchantment of life, the sort of magic of life, the sort of sense of the that there there and and one can obviously like down that road leads paranoia and all kinds of other things, which might be useful. But down that road also leaves it leaves a tremendous amount of of richness and sense of purpose and sense of possible direction. And it's just in some ways much more fun to think that the light in the forest might be something you should wander towards. You know, if you're lost and wandering around in the woods, for example, that's just quite, kind of interesting to look at reality that way sometimes, or the sense that there might be gods or the sense that there might be some sense of a grand plan or that this might have a game-like element to it in the same way that video games will, you know, there'll be a little thing that kind of sparkles and you should wander over there and see what the sparkly thing is in that same kind of playful way, if one can hold it loosely enough and not get too wrapped up in it. Like, I think there's something really delightful about that. And I find it psychologically beneficial to have the sense that somehow the universe has some purpose, even though, to be perfectly honest, I also have a, a materialist side of me that never has entirely gone away, that is like, yeah, okay, the sense of purpose arises as a natural product of the causal unfolding of impersonal sensate forces and particles and and whatever. And, and it's funny, and I actually, I'm weirdly comfortable with these two things getting along. I used to not be, you know, but now it's like, it's a very interesting chorus of different voices that sort of sing more in like jazz harmony sometimes but like just as i appreciate jazz more the older i get and sometimes discordant harmonies and rhythms so i can appreciate the weird inner music of a lot of different ways of looking at the universe that might come up with some pretty strange chords sometimes but the way they often then resolve can be a lot of fun and so well, uh, this is very very important what you're what you're trying to describe there daniel and i'll do my um bernie short summary thing of what i think you're what to me, my way of saying what you're saying, this this uh, earth we're on is is all polarized. It's it's full of polarities. So if you start thinking that you've got something really going here and there's a purpose in life and there's something that can happen and you're part of it, you got to also think, well, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the older I get, the more I'm comfortable with both those thoughts rattling they, around. In they the go opinion. together. Yeah, they, they go to ring in an interesting again that's these discordant chords in the same way that jazz harmonies can be like woof but then it can resolve to something ah you know um that that you know that that uh 
yeah minor second that then resolves to the the fifth or something and you it's, go oh that's it's, better it's funny that you, it's funny to me that you use the discordant chords of jazz because i i i like to use the this uh contraposition of opposites these polarities as part of a dance with uh, hegel's uh, thesis antithesis and synthesis that the two polarities uh, lead to yet a new um, synthesis that needs a new principle that yeah and this process continues to go yes no uh, maybe together and there's something here that's that's my way of thinking about it. And it's a masculine and feminine thing that is another way of being able to talk about it. And that's very much actually the, the sort of, it's funny, it's really good that you mentioned thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, because the EPRC is also very much trying to do that. If at the moment, and the, you know, from a clinical point of view and sort of a scientific point of view, if let's just say the thesis we're taking as thesis, and there's many before it, but the thesis of, you know, so scientific materialism, or what you might call scientism or something, right? That this is all just insensate particles and forces, you know, and it's all just a meaningless mechanism of maybe with maybe some quantum random probability thrown in. And then, you know, and then you've got the antithesis, which is like consciousness primary, sort of like, you know, notions of unity. These come out of a wide variety of mystical traditions as well as philosophical systems, and even are hunt, hinted at by some of the things in quantum mechanics, maybe depending on your interpretation. That's a controversial, obviously. But this sort of notion that there is much more to this, that consciousness might, might be fundamental, that there is mean, that meaning might, you know, pre, you know, sort of somehow create matter or whatever, like all these variants of consciousness primary, right? If that is antithesis, the EPRC is then looking at both of these and going, how can they get a, along a whole lot better? So in the same way that I was a kid, I'm switching hands now, who had a whole bunch of mystical meditative weird experiences, traveling out of body and energetic stuff and whatever as a kid, but was also like physics major, chemistry major, good at math and, and then, you know, electrical engineering and then biostatistics and then medicine and then, you know, all that stuff. Like these two, obviously, this Daniel was being taught that the other Daniel was totally crazy and or needed meds. Right. And but that I knew that some of the most important transformations and positive things that had ever happened to me came out of my meditative and spiritual practice. Though there were some real challenges as well, none of which were well understood or categorized or related to by the clinical mainstream. And so very, the very, very well said. Yeah. What you just did. That's very clear. And I, I'm just under you're welcome. I'm just underlining for our audience uh this mystical and this scientific background of yours running parallel so you you are an example of the uh, the need to have thesis and since and thesis antithesis synthesized so that right. you you can walk around on earth without being feeling too crazy something or even if you're feeling crazy to relate to that skillfully and and have good support right so <laughs> Right. And, and to have it not be stigmatized, but instead realize its potential healing potential and the sort of, you know, that that some of the weird instabilities that can occur as, as the code is being rewritten while the operating system is still running and some of these paradigm upgrades or shifts, right, that those might have some reasonable support by this side of the world. Because, again, you know, as doctors, you know, we went into this to know things and help people. Hopefully exactly. that's why everybody went into this. Yeah. And yet they don't know a lot about this stuff. 
and they're not that good at helping people with it. And so no. the goal of the EPRC is to help everybody, right? If they're if the aspiration of the people on the path is to do well, and the you know aspiration of the clinical world is to help everybody do well, well then we've got a natural alignment here that just needs some superficial stuff, maybe. <laughs> oh right, <laughs> superficial, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Sorry, <laughs> but I uh, chuckle let's, at my let's, own right. But, let, but like, let's, I think you're right. It's not superficial. It's right. fundamental things right. to bring them together. Sure. And they, but it also to speak everybody's epistemological language, what kind of evidence quality does this world need to incorporate some of this stuff into its world? And that's the task of the EPRC to figure out. And what, what kind of evidence right. quality do the people in the mystical realm need to be able to get the scientific ideas in there, too? Because right. there's still a lot of good ideas in the process of science and in discoveries of science. And, and I see meaningful coincidences as part of a scientific exploration that's based on curiosity and wonder. It's where Absolutely. you that, and then checking it out. That's all. Which is science at its best. Right, rather than science that it's contracted, you know, we've we know the way, and the way is the way, and all evidence to the contrary, we just ignore or dismiss or do whatever. Right. So science at its best has that spirit, and that's very much the spirit of the EPRC as well. Well, that was a good one, Daniel. That was Thanks. a good that was a good run. <laughs> I, 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 I'm st I'm still interested um to explore further maps and models because we've talked about uh the 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 opposites and synthesis uh, thesis and antithesis thesis being for our audience this is the way it is and then somebody says no this is the way it is and then you kind of do something and you put them together in a way that makes sense and then that together makes sense that synthesis becomes another thesis and right. then you start doing the same process over again and this is this is uh, life on earth uh, for those of us who are curious about how things work the, I've, I still don't know that we've gotten to map. We did models and kind of how you try them on and and uh, just and, and are skeptical about them at the same time. But what about maps? Well, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in one of many possible maps of this stuff. So there's a map that that is very much. What I think of as Daniel one, this first Daniel that was trained in Buddhism and a bunch of old texts and maps and models and some fusion, modern sort of fusion variants of those that come out of a lot of these books right here, which are old Buddhist texts. Um, and that book right there, which is a newer Buddhist text that reflects some old ones. And they have a map that I'm just going to talk about in super general terms because it could get super complicated. But basically, you're hanging out, you learn to see thoughts as thoughts. You learn to see, this is what mindfulness does well. And then you learn to see thoughts relate, you know, intentions lead to actions. There are mental impressions that follow things. You feel a feeling, you have a thought about it. You have a thought, it leads to a physical feeling. You start to see this interactivity in the body. And then you start to sort of have the body start to do some interesting energetic things. And then you get to what Maslow would call peak experiences after, you know, or might call Kundalini openings or rising and passing away or conversion experiences or like some kind of a high, right? Some kind of a spiritual high, after which there's often some kind of a spiritual crash if you look across a bunch of these maps. And then once you've had the kind of the hot, the thesis and antithesis, and then you come to the sort of synthesis that is equanimity or some sort of peace about all those kinds of things. And that's where deeper levels of realization are said to occur. Anyway, it's a, it's a map so, and model. Slow that down, that last part. Uh, that's where deeper realizations 
occur that uh, lead us up to that a little more <laughs> well this could be a very very long um discussion but the the idea is having seen the truth of of really positive things and the truth of really negative things and then come to some sort of peace about all those you could put the whole field of experience and the whole range of experience in all its dimensions aspects sense doors space consciousness whatever into some kind of thing that is then seen clearly and then that can allow the system to flip over into different perceptual configurations that then can lead to more it's it's a sort of a cyclical iterative complicated process depending on how elaborate you want to get with your well maps. we don't well i want to get simple and that's my that's my idea yeah i'm a so, doctor i'm a doctor <laughs> i got i gotta do something right now you right. know <laughs> so it is so one of the interesting things specifically relating that bigger broader map that you see play out on meditation retreats but you can also see it in daily life um and you can see it in some other situations and people with some psychedelic experiences that kind of basic pattern play out again and again at, in particular way up here in the spiritual peak is a time when the mind seems particularly prone to, to coincidences, synchronicities, curious alignments. We're, we, that it is a time when people often have a lot of access to the sort of states of mind that could lead to a book such as yours or Sharon's or that where there's this, this sense of, wow, of connection, of possibility, of putting things together, a very advanced pattern recognition of increased levels of philosophy and metaphilosophy, of metacognition. So this, this state way up here, which I would call the arising and passing away, and people can call other things as they like. Um, what, do you call it? what do you call it? The arising and passing away. And it comes out of these texts. It comes out of the commentaries in Abhidhamma of Buddhism and some um, another text called the Patisambi Dhammaga. And, and, and they don't elaborate on, or say synchronicities and stuff. So this is additional mapping theory that's been added in contemporary times by the particular weird fusion strain of, of hybrid Buddhism plus whatever that I come from. Anyway, um, and so they would say that during this stage, it, it's just been observed by countless people. You know, I, I run an online forum where thousands of people have talked about this stuff. And um, people mention again and again in that particular stage where, where there might be a lot of energetic stuff, less need for sleep, more creativity. Um, it can be sort of a hypersexual stage. It can also be a challenging stage with weird movements and all kinds of bizarre stuff. Anyway, um, the feel of energy breaking through things and it, it, can, it can sort of look kind of manic. Um, as well. Um, but that's also a stage where it is super common for people to notice coincidences, synchronicities, and kind of other weird kind of side stuff, like knowing who's going to call, you know, on the phone way more often than would be normal during a normal phase of life, for example, or knowing what songs about to come, come on next on the radio or now podcast or whatever, or playlist or whatever it is. So, um, so that those those that's a, a particular map that is way extremely prone to the kind of experiences that you write about and study. Um, so that that's just another interesting meta map that can relate particularly to this particular topic. Uh, that was great. Uh, Thanks. Uh, on on the dance floor, I can, when I'm uh, in the phase, I can, I can know what the next where the next beat is going to be or next rhythm is going to be and even some of the changes in it it's, it's a, like a a, a a second or two precognitive thing sure uh, where it can it's the same kind of thing that you're talking about uh, but right there uh in one particular place with music 
Now that this mapping is really important to my way of thinking. And one of the things that you did in telling the story of you just did of the ups and the downs is you did something that looked like this. Mm -hmm. Now there's a name. I do a lot of that. Sinusoid, but you could also do fractal. It looks, it starts to look very fractal. It looks like a fractal of sinusoids basically um, is what you end up kind of seeing if you really get into this, but go ahead. Well, I'm, first we'll say it's a sine wave um uh sinusoid mean resembling a sine wave um and i start here with with uh trying to look at the basic uh patterns of reality the fundamental things that seem to be going on underneath what's going on and the sine wave is one of them uh yeah sine wave is ubiquitous uh and you, I, I like it when people draw it like that, <laughs> like talking like that, like you did. Hey, we got it. Mm-hmm. There's that sine wave again. You elaborate on it. You call it sinusoidal, and then you get to fractals. And fractals um, are for our audience are are pattern repetitions uh, at different scales uh, in the simple form of that. And that, uh, one one example, uh, one of the simplest example are, are, are trees branching rivers branching, uh, blood vessels branching, uh, neuron connection branching, uh, galaxies uh, connecting. Um, They they all have a a fractal uh, basis, which is starting from something simple and using a a formula that that Fibonacci helped us be able to see, to see how these repetitions have a basic pattern underneath them. But you are talking about sinusoidal and fractals. So would you link them for this, this poor, this poor guy here trying to figure out what you're talking about? Sure. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is harmonics. So if you have (laughs) Like so, so that's the first. Linkage, I love harmonics. Right? Okay, exactly. go ahead. Exactly. Yeah. So, so as so, I come from a somewhat weird meditative tradition where, where in my more athletic meditative days, you can get super obsessive about seeing exactly which frequencies your experience. What's the pulse of your experience? The fundamental pulse or wiggle of your experience. Pulse to use both a potentially digital and also analog model so can, like, we, can, can we call it a personal uh energy si- energy signal i uh, kind of so it's an experiential energy pulse it's like what is the refresh rate or screen pulse or flicker of your three-dimensional sensate experience do, do you think each i think each of us has like a fingerprint we have uh, an energy uh signature Kind of, although those experientially, those actually change by the stage. So at each point, the other, the weird thing is, is you go through this stage, which is obviously something like a wave, right? The big one I was just drawing. At each of those, there are also particular frequency signatures, not only of the foreground, but also of the background, and then how those signatures change with other things. So for example, in this stage, it's very common for the frequency to change with the phrase of the breath. So like it might be very fast in the middle of the breath and very slow towards the top and bottom of the breath. So like you might notice frequencies going. So you've got frequencies actually modulating frequencies, but that actually is state and stage dependent. 
But within each of those, the harmonic content actually changes. And there are all these elaborate maps about the harmonic of the center of attention versus of the periphery of attention and what kind of harmonics there are. Are they even harmonics or odd harmonics? Are they more um, so they are more in phase or more out of phase. And so you can, get the, this this could be, I could literally talk for an hour. So I'm just kind of giving a top level summary of, of a very advanced kind of sort of needlessly geeky, perhaps, but fascinating lexicon of technical jargon and maps and models. Well, but let, then let, you get let, into this question of fractals and how each of the little pieces of the sine wave, the little harmonics can look like bigger pieces of the sine wave. And so you can get, so it's thinking of harmonics in the, but in the way you would think of fractals and kind of blurring the sort of line between where fractals and harmonics begin and end, which is the sort of, you know, because fractals tend to have these sorts of, you know, ed edges or, or, and it gets kind of blurring digital and analog. And anyway, so yeah, that. Yeah, that, right. Nice try with yeah that. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna do we're we're gonna do Bernie's attempt at translation here. Uh, <laughs> the I I got that that the harmonics um, like of here versus harmonics of here, which are different, can be uh, in phase or out of phase. Okay, sure. It but does sometimes seem that this this side and that side. Are, oh, sorry, are more or less in phase. And then eventually it just sort of seems like the whole thing may be more or less in phase. And eventually at these transition points where the system can reconfigure into better perceptual modes, it feels like the whole thing perfectly aligns in phase, disappears, reappears, and then can reappear in a different configuration of fundamental perception of reality and interpretation. Okay. Uh and all I'm still stuck with is the harmonics uh, and the fractals. And I keep looking for underlying patterns. Uh, and the fractal idea of with harmonics is that it's, there's something similar about the harmonics uh, in both, let's say, heart and, and mind, for just to start with. There's something similar, even if they're out of phase, there's still something that's fundamentally the same about each one of them at different scales as in fractals. That's what you seem to be saying. Yeah. And the, the ones where they're more in phase, particularly regarding the center of attention, or broadly, this, this other phase equanimity, sort of as, this, as we would label it in the tradition I come from, um, this sort of synthesis phase. These are the two places where coincidences are the much more likely to be noticed. So I actually would add a theory that something about one's perceptual phase and pulse and 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 all of that is going to influence the degree to which coincidences seem to be more or less a part of one's life, not as an absolute, but as general averages. I would predict in certain phases of this process that we would be more or less um, coincidental. Absolutely. Absolutely. When, when, when you're in, and people say this in more general terms, the more spiritually elevated you get, the more coincidence you see. It, it, that seems to be the case. And you're describing the kind of, uh, let me say, uh, physiology of that um, with the harmonics. And I'm still into this energy signature thing uh, by looking at the fractals that get uh, repeated in various shapes and sizes in the various ways that, that the harmonics interact with each other. And so I'm going to, I think 
that just as I have this face, I have something that's basic to me, uh, harmonically or or signature wise, energetically, and that I, it's not just about me. It's about how my harmonics, my energy signature interacts with the signature of other people, because I'm very much interested in interpersonal energy. And this uh, being in phase with somebody else versus being out of phase with somebody else becomes a fundamental element of what I'm thinking about when it works or doesn't work with somebody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those are, I think, all um, very easy to mentally relate and put in something of the same relational basket from a modeling point of view. Definitely. All right. Well, I, I, I like how and there's a sense of like being in phase with the world or out of phase with the world. We've all had those moments where we felt like we were just totally grooving and things were just happening in those moments where every single thing appears jarring, right? And like, oh, it's just not working. And so like, I think it's the in phase moments as well where we feel like we're grooving on the world and the world is grooving on us. And it's all becoming a, a, a more harmonious and resonant in those with those, you know, that is also a time when synchronicities appear to be more likely to be noticed. Uh, this is so important, this uh, energy, um, energy, harmonics, energy signature in phase, out of phase. It's so important for the future of humanity, um, I think. And uh, how much... How much attention is EPRC paying to this harmonic, uh, these harmonic ideas we're talking about? Actually, a lot. So um, one of the very first studies that that I gave some reasonable chunk of change to and a bunch of time to in the beginning was one uh, using EEG and fMRI. And EEG has the bandwidth to to do th things related to in phase and out of phase um, related. To, and this is at um, Harvard. Uh, with Dr. Matthew Saket, and I was the pilot person for this study, where it's basically going into states that are more in or out of phase. So one of the things I learned to do is to actually shift through these and time, you know, and I can timestamp them. I can tell when I'm in one phase configuration or another. And so trying to figure out what does the signature of this look like in ways that we can measure with current technologies, which are obviously quite limited. I don't mean to needlessly um, downplay the incredible technological advances that we've had in neuroimaging and the ability to process it and use AI on it and and correlate it with other um, neuroimaging and neurophenomenological techniques. I also don't want to needlessly say it's going to figure out consciousness or anything like that. I don't think so in its current current level, but we can certainly, with what the tools we currently have, begin to explore the degree to which these sorts of more high um, alignment, um, clearer, more seemingly in-phase states of mind, and can you actually see neural signatures of them? So, uh, and and then, you know, in an ideal world, we would actually build something called the Emergent Phenomenon, uh, sorry, the um, Emergence Research Center, and in the Emergence Research Center, we would bring in a whole wide range of traditions and have the ability to study them at this level with high-density EEG and seven Tesla fMRI, and as they go through intensive spiritual practices from across a wide range of traditions, and we could measure not only the degree to which they seem to be in phase or out of phase with reality according to their experience, but also does that correlate with anything we can measure, you know, with our gizmos? And then does that, and then when we measure with the gizmos, do phase alignment things there correlate with what they report in experience? 
And then how does that relate to function in the world and good outcomes, right? So to what degree do certain states of mind that may or may, may be able to be cultivated or you know enhanced, do they relate to positive pro-social behaviors or positive function in the world or positive mental health or negative mental health when, you know, et cetera. And so those are the kinds of questions that have been on our map since we had a, a map and a plan and um, since the early days of the EPRC, and we're still working towards those those very explicit goals. And if I were to understand uh, what you're looking for, is to be able to help people consciously manipulate or manage their energy signatures. That will that's one way to think about it, among many. But that's part of it. Well, since we're in the business of trying to help people, how else does this help people? Yeah. So so. Clearly, there are people um, who report that through good training and or spiritual practices, what we're going to call emergent practices, which is a wide range of things from psychedelics to, you know, intensive meditation retreats to prayer to who knows what, all kinds of things you can do that may result in emergence or emergent transformation or however we're labeling it at the moment. Um, clearly, that has been reported for millennia across cultures to ultimately have the possibility of tremendous benefits in terms of the basic experience and relationship to life and death and existence and this moment and time and space and society and ethics, right? So that's on the on the, the positive side. And clearly throughout millennia, people have said there are ways that make these beneficial transformations more likely. And we can study and compare those and see what we can measure about them and, and get high quality data so people can understand not only the benefits and the alternatives, but also the risks. So the, it has also been mentioned for thousands of years that these practices can be confusing, destabilizing, that the transformations can be hard to navigate. They can make people act weird, have weird experiences, whatever those mean, and, and get pretty out there. Right, that's also been reported across basically all cultures. And then the question is, how can the mainstream medical and scientific world and public relate vastly more skillfully to those with, you know, prospectively trialed methods for mitigating the challenges to the highest degree possible, and then promoting the benefits to the highest degree possible? And people might disagree on what they consider the challenges and the benefits. That's a whole nother topic. But at least we have high quality data, so informed patients and practitioners and clinicians and scientists and members of the public in general can make you know very good informed choices and ar around these things. And currently we don't have that data except little you know limited case series and biased reports of you know experts you know through their ontological um you know lenses and stuff so that's what we currently have it seems from your description to be uh, focused on individual patients well that's a great question so obviously the the it, the outcomes for individuals will aggregate to outcomes for societies and communities and systems so Starting at a phenomenological level, what do patients and practitioners and people who have these experiences apparently spontaneously or when they weren't even either patients or practitioners, what do they report? And then what helps them with the notion that what helps them, if we in aggregate, will then help um, you know healthcare systems and communities and societies and families and all of the different greater units. We still are also thinking on a systems level. So we think I, at the public I, health I, level, the epidemiology I, level, the the broad 
systems level related to public health and board certifications and national health service policies. I do hear that, sir. Level. I do hear that. <laughs> Still I the, do the hear that, one. but I'm just trying to get to one little one mm -hmm. little part of this thing that uh, has that keeps my attention focused. Uh, <laughs> I say, I, I, people down in Alabama, we just got a way of thinking about things <laughs> that may be a little different. Now you're in Virginia. I am. Um, and I don't hear the interpersonal um, in what you're talking about. It's implied, but I am very much a student of interpersonal energy. Well, when I said pro-social in there, so that was one of those words that is related to interpersonal, right? So the, that's that's obviously important. And the whole notion of in clinical settings relates to healing or therapeutic relationships, right? And when I said things like family and society, obviously those are related. And you know, figuring out how clinicians can have can relate more skillfully to the people who come to them and scientists and society. So all those also sort of I, I, I hear that underneath interrelation underneath things. that. But my thing is that we don't get along with each other. And we don't know how to behave well with each other as human that's beings. Grossly true, yes. I mean, that, that, it's just uh, trying to state the obvious. The sun comes up, the sun comes down. That's what happens. We got here. So I wanted to hear from you more about how this, how EPRC is working directly. Not in. It's it's there. It's not not there. I hear that. I've known that since we've talked. But I, I, with more of a focus on getting two people in a room and measuring what happens between them energetically. I, I've been looking for years at some machine that can measure interpersonal energy and how it shifts between the two people. And with your ideas, what gets what's in phase and what's out of phase and how do we manage that? Those that's what I'm also liking to hear from you. So, so for example, um, Zoran Josefovic at the Non-Duality Institute actually has an EEG rig, which is two EEGs that are very, very finely phase aligned into one great, you know, phase aligned data set. So you can look at very, you know, very subtle um, levels of alignment um, between uh, two people. He's up in, in New York. Um, and actually, I've visited him with uh, uh, Jay Sanguinetti is one of the other EPRC people. And so I've been up there to see, you know, what they're doing. Um, but the so those studies are definitely they exist and there are people working on some of those things and he's not the only one right and so like you know e subtle energy like subtle energy science which it has to do a lot with therapeutic connections at these deeper more subtle levels so for example like emerald gate is doing a, a bunch of research and trying to do more research of how in the world these interactive energy things can be helpful and healing and connecting and transformative. And uh, th that's some fascinating work. Or you can check out chi.is is an another group that's looking at these kinds of of levels. And obviously, this is not a new theme. So it's, um, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, and w are there people who are measuring not just with EEG correlations, but the actual energy in between the two people? So how in the world you measure this and what, what are the, is it electromagnetic? Is it something that only conscious beings can perceive on some other dimension or, you know, mediated through some other particle or who knows what this is? That's one of the hot debates in the world that I swirl in, right? And, you know, so, and 
Like, is it blocked by Faraday cages? Well, the side people will all say no, like it doesn't seem to be, right? So it's probably not electromagnetic. So on the other hand, some of the EEG people say, well, actually you can see these, these things where people start to sync up when they do things together or looking at each other or meditating or whatever it is. Like, and so it's probably and, right, right, rather than or. Oh yeah. Be my guess at this point that there are, there are multiple um, dimensions or mediators or you know fields of of interactivity here. And I the science is still the science is still relatively early days, even though people have been thinking about this for uh -uh. I don't know probably over a hundred. Well, I mean thousands of years in some ways, but with recent gizmos, you know, uh, probably about a hundred at least. Um, so. Well, well, all I know, Dan, all I know, Daniel, is I can feel other people's energy and they can feel mine and we tell each other and sure. we can it, it's and the skin is a major uh, uh, picker upper uh, receptor for interpersonal energy, even through clothes, you can feel it. If there, there, I, I, if I feel it, it exists. And sure. uh, and not, and not just me, but other people I talk to. Oh yeah, I can feel that. And when you're more open, you feel it. And those these are the stories you hear from people. And then they're they're energy vampires. You hear people taking the energy from you, uh, and there's vortices that people create and pull the energy over into them. These well, are shaktipat all... is a very real thing. Like you know, giving energy to people to to shift them into another state of of experience is a Absolutely. very real thing. Absolutely, and exchanging energy with each other in a positive way sure the, the, or a negative way of course or and negative then globally right we can feel these energies moving around that's what i want society get. and memes and all of that right so, so you, you're raising the question well what is this energy is it electromagnetic it's it's bioelectrical magnetic it's, it has something to do with our, us and our bodies is what it has to do with i think you don't agree with that no, I, I, again, I'm very much an and kind of a person. It has to do with a lot of things, but like even out of body, people can still notice this. So even when traveling out of the body and how does that all relate? Uh, I don't know, but but even out of body, this oh, as, as someone I, who's traveled out, out of I, body a number of times and yet felt energy and done energetic stuff, it, it that body, whatever that is, right? I, I don't mean to go throwing around too many labels. No, no, you you're, wanna, I, you're so thinking, like, you're <laughs> one of the differences between your thinking and mine is that I played a lot of football and that I like to, okay, here, here's the ball, you got to run over there. I mean, that's that's what I do. <laughs> and I still kind of think like that. You're able to like talk about all the parameters around it and the details and the yes, no's it, maybe not. All I know is that I, I can feel other people's energy and they can feel mine and there's like there's an exchange that's all i know sure and right right here, right here on earth i mean i believe everything you're telling me but the fundamental one is with each other yeah like in a family like with kids like with the, the adults in the family that those energy patterns are really important to keep in mind the the energy of the whole group of them and, and that's what i'm looking at being able to study because i'm an interpersonally focused person because i do psychotherapy among other things so that's where that's why i'm talking this way and but i like hearing you say but then there's this and then there's that and i appreciate knowing that but I just wanted you to know that I'm like, hey, Daniel, there's you, there's me. We like being with each other. It was a great vibe going on. Like, a, okay, I mean, it was our minds. It was, a, well, it was really, we didn't want to particularly separate. It was kind of like too much fun, but it was getting late. You got to go kind of thing. That's like, 
what's what is that and i'm going to leave us with with that because we i know you have plenty of ideas about it and you've told me about it but that's for you to know where my where what i'm most interested in and wh why that i mean that's where i am but that's i like super important I, I thank you and i i like to use other information to be able to develop a model for it as i am doing with telepathy which is helping to do a model for interpersonal connectedness how that might happen at a distance as well as how it might happen in the same place those are those that's I, I, that's what i you know that's the, I, i'm kind of dumb a, in the way i approach things it's like i just see something that i think is important like making a touchdown everything else is there to help that happen it's the kind of thing that i focus on and i'm glad to be able to share with you this focus of mine and hear how you have all kinds of other ideas around it which is very helpful in expanding my concept of what i'm very interested in nice very nice and we should be ending around now um because we've been going on and on and we can continue to do this uh, <laughs> we've already demonstrated that clearly we've by demonstrated my, my that visit clearly. To your house yep. <laughs> yes we could keep doing this uh but we have to do uh we have to do the old goodbye thing and uh uh just hang on afterwards and we'll talk a little bit more but uh i want to do the thank you daniel for talking with me again it's been a great pleasure you're so fucking you're so smart uh it's so much fun uh to hear how you talk and all the things that you put together um it's it's a it's a great experience and uh i deeply respect what you're doing uh your high energy uh and how much you know so thank you very much for for being on the show well, thank you so much for, uh, again, all the intelligence and experience and wisdom that you bring to this as well and for putting this out there. So thank you. You're welcome. This psychosphere is our mental atmosphere Like a hologram of cosmic consciousness